Why do you want to fight? This is the fight game with Demond Cotton. Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting edition of the fight game on 1230 The Game. I am your host, Damon Cotton, and I say it each and every week. There is so much to talk about in the world of combat sports, but we're only talking about one thing today. The one thing, keeping the main thing, the main thing, and that is UFC 285, the return of John Jones to the Octagon main eventing for the UFC heavyweight championship against Cyril Gaon. Now, We've got nothing but illustrious guests on the show today. We're going to get to him in just a second here. We've got Adam Hill joining us on the show today. Show today. We've got Cody Garbrandt. He's going to be coming up after Adam Hill. And then the co-main event of the evening, Alexa Grasso, is going to be joining us as well. She's taking on Valentina Shevchenko for the co-main event for the UFC Flyweight Women's Championship. And the phenom of all phenoms, Bo Nickel, is going to be joining us to close out the show Banger after banger after banger here on the fight game ahead of UFC 285. Without further ado, let's talk to Adam Hill. Let's get it on. And nothing but illustrious guest here on the fight game as I introduce my next guest, the sports writer of the year in this great state of Nevada, Adam Hill from the Las Vegas Review-Journal and ESPN Las Vegas Cofield and Company. How you doing today? I thought you said you had illustrious guests. I mean, you are my media nemesis, but I wanted to hype you up to let the let the fans of the show know that you're a great guest. But yes, Adam Hill is my media nemesis. Uh, yeah, I try to be. Uh, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to prepare you. I'm trying to toughen you and harden you for this game. <laughs> well, let's talk about the fight game. Let's just start at the main event: UFC 285 taking place this Saturday. T-Mobile, the return of John Jones. How anticipated is this fight in the MMA community? You think? Well, very. I mean, I think you you start you know start just with how many people want to go to the fight, right? I mean, we were looking last night at a uh, at some of the resale value on the tickets, and it's through the roof. I mean, it's the the get in price is astronomical uh, for this card, and I think it's because you know for a lot of reasons. One, there's you know the John Jones aspect of what's going to happen because you never really know what's going to happen. I mean, when he steps in there, you you usually see some some great performances, but there's been a couple that are a little bit shaky, and certainly nobody has seen him at heavyweight, so nobody really knows uh, what's going to happen in that regard. So I think that's a big part of it. It's the fact that he hasn't been around for a while. Uh, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder in a lot of ways, and he hasn't fought in over three years. So um, there's a lot of that at play. But I think the biggest thing is just the you know the uncertainty of hey this guy has never really lost i mean obviously he has the dq loss on his, on his record but um you know that was obviously a fight in 2009 against the bad hand he was dominating uh when he landed like 27 straight elbows and one just happened to be illegal um and by the way I was, I'll, I'll pause there like this effort to get that overturned is preposterous <laughs> Like absolutely. First of all, look, I, I was there at the fight. I, you know, I remember it very well. Um, it absolutely was illegal. Now I know that, you know, look, his legacy is a lot different if you don't have that one loss on there and everybody's, you know, not everybody, but there are a lot of people that are saying like, Oh man, it's not fair. He was so dominating that fight. You can't disqualify somebody that's in control of a fight like that. Well, you can, it's the rules. It's part of it. And yeah, I get I get the fact that you know his record looks a lot more clean if it's not there, um, but it, 
that's how fights go. And he, he was disqualified for a reason. It was, you know, it was silly and maybe you don't like the rule. Um, but man, they're, they're going back and trying to change this record. That is just crazy to me. Um, it, you know, it is what it is. He lost the fight. So, uh, knock that off. Um, but yeah, the, you know, the anticipation of, of John Jones being a heavyweight and how, you know, how his game is going to translate. Is he going to be able to go up and, you know, take guys down at will the way he used to be? Is he going to be able to, you know, mentally dominate guys that are, you know, bigger and stronger and more powerful and all those things? Like, that's really, really intriguing and really fascinating. So I think there's a lot of anticipation for this fight for a lot of those reasons. I know that Cyril Gahn is his opponent here, but I want to talk about John just a little bit more. Yesterday at Media Day, and even with the press photos out, you see, I see people making fun of him on Twitter where it just looks like he just gained a little weight or he doesn't look as, you know, in shape as he used to at light heavyweight. How do you think he's going to be able to handle that weight change? Because that's the biggest unknown is, to me, what's he going to even weigh in at tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's very interesting. Now, look, if you've if you've watched workout videos of him over the last couple of years as he's posted, as he's posted them, he he looks jacked. He looks giant, and he looks he does look like just a you know much much stronger version uh, of the John Jones that we saw at two hundred five. Um, but but we don't know. We don't know how his is his you know first of all I say is his power going to translate? He never really had that much power. As funny as that sounds for a guy who's been so dominant and. Um, you know, so good at light heavyweight for so long, but you know, how, how will his power look at this level? How will, you know, how will his takedowns look, uh, at, at, you know, at heavyweight. Now the thing about John Jones is yes, he was fighting at 205, but he was walking around, you know, 225, 230, even a little bit bigger than that at times, uh, when he was cutting down to 205. So it's not like he, he was a small guy necessarily. It's not that much weight, but it is different weight. I think it's really interesting. The reason I do think, the weight isn't going to be as much of an issue as, as we thought it might be is um, that it has taken so long to do this. And, you know, John said he thought it'd be a couple of months. He would put on a, you know, put on a couple of pounds and go out there and fight. And then when he got in the gym, he realized, Oh, this is not the right way to do this. Like you have to build the base a little bit more. Uh, you have to build the weight up better and stronger and, um, and, and, you know, more, uh, you know, calculated and how you do it. And, and then he took his time to do it and um, stepped away and got to the gym and, and, you know, bulked up to that level. Now he does it, you know, I don't know if he's as you know jacked as he was, you know, eight, nine months ago when we were seeing some of those videos, but um, I, I do think he's going to be able to move up just because it seems like at least he's saying the right things about doing it the right way and not doing it quickly and making sure that it was good weight and, um, that it was built up the right way. So I, I think the process at least sounds right for what John did. Now we'll see it put into place. But yeah, that's 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 some of the big questions about this fight. And then with Cyril Gaon, where we saw Francis was able to beat him with wrestling. I mean, Francis' wrestling was limited, but he was able to keep Cyril down for most of that fight. So he wins this fight if he's able to do what? Um, knock John out. <laughs> I think that's, the, that's, that's where he goes. I mean, um, yeah. And stay off his back. Right. I mean, that's something he hasn't been able to do. And I, I do think the, you know, the blueprint is there, uh, you know, John saw it and John has talked about it a lot this week of, Hey, not only can you take zero gone down, uh, and do it repeatedly, but you can take him out of his fight and you can make him a different fighter. And he's talked about, you know, when, when Ciro was standing, you know, like late in that fight against Francis Ngannou, who Francis Ngannou was hurt in that fight, by the way, and he still was able to do that. When he was standing, his stand up didn't even look good early in the, you know, the fourth and the fifth rounds before he got taken down because his, 
his footwork went away, his um, you know, his will kind of went away, and he just didn't have much at all. Um, it wasn't just that he was even tired; like his spirit was broken. He, he wasn't able to throw anything, and you know, I think I think John is a very cerebral fighter. He's a, he's a guy that understands weaknesses and and first of all, the the mental warfare certainly a, a much as much as he's talking about it this week and trying to get Ciro's head about it um, is fascinating, and that's what John always does. But um, he understands strategy and and all of those things, and he's you know relentless about watching film, and, and so I think yeah, he saw the blueprint. He saw what you do to Cyril, and I think he believes he can put that into play. Again, we're talking to Adam Hill here on the fight game on 1230, the game. The co-main event of the evening, Valentina Shevchenko versus Alexa Grazo. Not only who do you like in this fight, because Valentina, she's been the champ for so long. Is Alexa just the next woman to face that defeat, or do you think she has a chance here? I mean, I think she has a chance. Uh, obviously, you know, Valentina is favored uh, for a reason, but Valentina has shown, you know, that there there is there is some ability to get to her. Like she is human, even at one twenty five. Um, but I, look, I, as much as I like Alexa Grasso, and, and I think we've seen her game really improve. I mean, I think there was a lot of hype for her when she kind of, you know, just started and said, "Oh yeah, she's she's going to be the one," and then she took some losses. And I think it actually really helped her um, to build up, to see what she needed to do, where she needed to improve and where she needed to get better. And I think she's really been able to do that. I think the biggest thing that we've seen from her really is that confidence level of, of understanding the experience that she has and um, and how much work she's put into this and, and how uh, improved she has been and, and then being able to go in there and execute it. So, yeah, I think, I think she's a very worthy adversary. I just don't know um, if she's totally ready. Uh, there and uh, you know, I thought Valentina was pretty interesting yesterday. Just kind of talking about that, talking about first of all how uh, how good uh, the rest of the you know women's MMA world has gotten, but also um, just how how she sees Alexa as uh, a strong opponent and one that uh, is coming up. And she's not being fake; she's being respectful. But uh, Valentina said, you know, it's it's a good thing to be respectful, and then you're gonna step in the cage and, and see what happens. And and I, I think it's true. I think Valentina is just such a relentless uh just attack she's just such an attacker uh when she gets in there she goes after your soul and i think that's uh that's something that alexa is gonna have to deal with um she's gonna have to deal with at least that wave of of uh valentina kind of getting to her and then uh she can settle in but i i don't you know i wouldn't pick her if the if the fight was straight up certainly um as an underdog you you start you look at her and say oh she has a chance at that at that price but um i think valentina wins it uh, but I, I don't think it's, you know, a lot of people say, well, people just step into Valentina and lose, and that's what's going to happen. I, I think Alexa has a shot, and I think uh, Valentina will be challenged. I just don't think this is where she loses. And moving on to the next fight, a welterweight bout, a top 10 matchup, Jeff Neal versus Shafkat Rachmanov. So what Jeff Neal, he talked about it yesterday, how he's been a little overlooked. Do you think that, not not only does not does he have a chance, but do you think that he there's some truth to that, to where you see like that Dagestani, let's say, wrestling style, and people just automatically pick the, the guy from, I know he's fighting out of Kazakhstan, but you get what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> that's a uh, yes, <laughs> very uh, geographic of you, Demont, to uh, to just throw that out there. But you're, no, you're right. Um, yeah, I think I think a lot of times when you're handicapping a fight like this, and you you look at this bout, you just see the name, and you see you know the style. Like, oh yeah, that guy's gonna win. And I think that's that's somewhat fair in this case because he's just he's just a, a beast. He's just running over people and crushing them when he steps in there with them. Uh, but Jeff Neal has that you know that grit, that veteran. 
battle-tested attitude and and you know he can get in there and he's he's more than capable i just don't know that he has anything that he does outstandingly well uh that's going to be able to you know to be the one to end the streak here i think the um, you know, the machine continues in this spot as much as Jeff Neal wants to talk about it. And uh, as much as he wants to step up and say that he's the man to do it. Uh, I don't know that he's, I don't know he's about that life in this one. So who do you think would be next for Rachmanov? I, I mean, there was, you know, there's definitely some names being thrown out there yesterday. Uh, um, you know, I think the, you know, anytime you're, you're rising like this, you know, you get to hear the names like Covington, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be pretty intriguing, uh, but I also think it depends how it goes, right? How the how the fight goes? How does he look? Does he does he get that big boost uh, up to the top? Um, I think if he looks impressive, uh, I think we can see him go all the way to the top. Again, we're talking to Adam Hill from the Las Vegas Review Journal and ESPN Las Vegas here on the fight game now. Fight that I'm excited about. Matus Gamrot versus Jalen Turner because Jalen Turner at lightweight, it's one of those, it's amazing that he's able to compete at lightweight due to the size that he has. But who do you like in this fight? Yeah, I mean, it feels like he should be fighting like like light heavyweight. Yeah. It's just massive. It's crazy. Um, I, I, I like Jalen. I, you know, I, uh, I think what he does is um, he's got a lot of explosiveness to his game, and I think uh, I think you'll see that. I mean, obviously, you, know, you see that on both sides of this fight, but um, – I do, I do like the development that Jalen has shown. You know, I think he came on and uh, burst on the scene a little bit, and and he's really kind of settled into himself. You know, I think he figured it out some, and he's looked better um, in some in some of his fights. Even even when he hasn't won, I think there's there's been some really positive signs from his fights. So uh, I, I like him to go ahead and uh, and win this fight. And um, man, at some at some at some point in his career, I don't think he's going to be able to keep cutting. I think it just destroys your body. But uh, while he's there, I think he can. Uh, he can enjoy some success. Yeah, he's not so much physically imposing when it comes to the mass side of it, but it almost gives me Rumble Johnson vibes where it's eventually it's going to catch up with him. And then maybe, yeah. like you said, he, light heavyweight would be a natural spot for a guy <laughs> that big because it's 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 incredible. Or I'm looking at it like, no, how, how do you do in 155? You, like your body's got to hate you every fight week. Yeah, what uh, like like you, like you'd be, you should be fighting like middleweight, right? Oh yeah, I'm am around like 205 right now, and yeah, yeah I even definitely at, even at five foot four. <laughs> yes, exactly at five foot four, 205 pounds. So yeah, and he's a foot taller than me, and he's cutting down <laughs> to 155. It's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the highly anticipated match at middleweight: Bo Nickel versus Jamie Pickett. I know that Bo has been somebody that's been on your radar for a long time now. This is his first actual ufc fight and it's on the main card do you think he lives up to the hype not only getting the win but winning in an impressive fashion if he can he's almost in a no-win situation um it's 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 a tough spot to be in but it's also a tough spot for matchmakers right like bo nickel comes in um who are you going to put him up against because in the end as talented as he is and as good as he is and as as dominant as we believe he is as a fighter he's only had three fights so I think there's a, a tendency to say, oh, he needs to be fighting a top contender. But that's not really fair to him as somebody who's only three fights into his career who doesn't have that experience, who, yes, is unbelievably skilled and talented. But um, I just I think it's really tough to know what to do with him. So I've heard some people criticize not only his placement on the main card, but also, hey, it's an overmatched fight. He's, you know, minus you know, to, to like minus 2000, minus 2100. Now I've seen in a couple of spots like that's ridiculous. You shouldn't be matching fights like this. But 
what are you supposed to do? I just don't understand um, where where some of these guys like think. Uh, you know, some of these fans and, and you know observers think that he's you know supposed to be fighting because you can't match him up with you know a top contender right now. It's just, it's really difficult, and he's just so good. We saw that in his contender series fights where you know he they matched him with guys where he was like minus three thousand, and he came out and said, "Well, I should probably be even more than that," and it was true. Like he <laughs> he was just so dominant, but he's had three fights, uh, none of it lasted over a minute and a half. He's just blasted through everybody, but. I, I just don't know, you know, how you're supposed to match him up with anybody right now. So I think we'll see him go in and roll. Now, the problem that you know, that he he has is he could finish in like two and a half minutes, and people will be like, "Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't good." You know, he's supposed to finish these guys in a minute. Like that's what that's what's supposed to happen with Bo Nickel. He's that talented. He's got that good of a wrestling background. He's that athletic. All those things. So you know, he really has. A, he's really in a no-win situation. I mean, he's he's got to win a fight in like thirty seconds to have anybody impressed <laughs> by it at all. So um, I, I do feel for him in that in that sense. But um, I think he's got the right demeanor. I thought when he came in uh, to contender series fight, he was even. A little bit cocky, and and I, mm-hmm. you know, I understand that when you have that much talent and that much ability, but um, I think that this week he's he's been a little bit different. I think he's, you know, he's kind of fighting himself a little bit more. He's getting a little more comfortable. Um, he he doesn't have to be that. He can he can let his uh, athleticism and talent uh, be cocky for him. Um, he doesn't have to do it, and and I I do think it's, it's been a little bit more mature, uh, Bo Nickel, which I think is very interesting. And and the other aspect for him, which um, he even pointed out was that, you know, a lot of guys that are three fights into their career uh, that have been fighting, you know, in the contender series at the Apex uh, would be, would have that moment, you know, fighting on the main card of a John Jones fight at T-Mobile Arena, like that would be panic inducing for a lot of guys at this stage of their career. But, you know, the 2016 NCAA tournament was at Madison Square Garden. Uh, I know, you know, he got second. He, I know he lost the championship there, but he worked his way through the tournament in front of that many people, uh, won three you know, national titles in wrestling that were all at massive arenas. I think the, uh, his senior, I think was at a uh, PNC arena in, in Pittsburgh, uh, sold out there too. So he's fought on huge stages, even though, uh, he hasn't done it in MMA and he hasn't been in those massive crowds. So I, I don't think the moment is going to be too big for him either. Um, I think he's going to be able to handle it. And I think, uh, we're going to see just another continuation in the, uh, the Bo nickel dominance here early in his career. But even if he does continue this dominance, what do you like? How slow do you think the build will be until he is matched up with some of those ranked opponents in the middleweight division? That's the problem. That's what that's what I'm saying. I mean, even after four fights, so he wins this fight, um, even if it's in dominating fashion. Uh, is it really fair to him? I mean, I, I, I don't know what he's going to want. I know he said he thinks he's gone faster than he thought he would. Um, he trusts his team. He trusts everybody around him to, you know, to put him in the right spots. But there is going to start to be that pressure. But I just don't think it's yet, right? I mean, if, if he goes, if he, again, if he wins this fight a minute and a half and then maybe another fight against a similar uh, type opponent, then you almost have to. Like, th- there's, there's not much more you can do to build him before you try to put him in those, you know, those massive fights. Uh, but I don't think you throw him in right away either, because again, it's, it's almost, it's almost not fair to him in his process. If it's four fights in and you're, and you're doing that, but um, wins two fights like this, uh, we'll see what happens. And I know he was talking about uh, the Shamaya fight, potentially, mm-hmm. uh, you know, three, four fights down the three, four, five fights down the road. Um, if they keep winning, but you also don't want them to, you know, 
to, you don't want to hold that off until uh, you know it's too late, and maybe one of them has a couple of losses. So that that is one to circle down the road. I think maybe three, four fights from now. And you know, he talked about that being at Allegiant Stadium. If if Shamayev were to you know go ahead and win a title and move to one eighty five and win it, um, then and Bo Nickel wins a couple more fights. Like those two guys undefeated. Uh, if Nickel especially has just dominated a couple more opponents. Uh, that would be a fascinating fight. I don't know that they do it in Allegiant. I don't know they've talked about uh, logistically it's difficult, um, and it might even have to be like a co-main at Allegiant, but um, I, I think that would be a fascinating type fight down the road. Um, he's just got to build up to it. I, I just don't – as much as he's ready athletically and he's ready physically and we've seen the dominance, I just don't know that he's he's there in his, his development quite just yet. Yeah, he did mention yesterday at Media Day Allegiant, and I thought, oh, those are some pretty lofty goals. What do you think would need to be the main event – for a UFC card to headline at Allegiant Stadium? Well, I mean, I think you could do... We've actually... I've actually discussed this with uh, with some people at the UFC, too. Um, I think you would go... I don't know if it's Connor anymore. If you got... Well, Jones, Jones and Ganu was, I think, the fight. Mm. Like, I think that was going to be it, and he's gone. But if you told me um, it's, what, three fights from now, and you could get... You could get uh, Shamayev and uh, and Nickel as a couple more undefeated fights on there as like the third fight. That would be wild. But even the second fight with like Jones Stipe, or if you did Jones Stipe main event Connor and somebody in the co-main, and then and then Shamayev and uh, and Nickel as the third fight. Like that would be wild. That would de- definitely be an Allegiant Stadium worthy event. I, I just know they feel like. Uh, with the with the cost it would do to it would be logistically to do it at the stadium and, and certain things like that, um, and the cost you would have to charge for tickets like it would have to be an unbelievable card. Uh, I, I, I'm kind of kidding in there that you would need Jones and Connor <laughs> on the same card, but um, something like that uh, would be just uh, it would be necessary, but it would also be wild to see it ha- happen there. Um, a stadium show as much even as much as they would have to charge for tickets because Allegiant for those that are you know. If you're listening, uh, especially somewhere else besides Vegas, if you listen online here, the um, Allegiant isn't a massive stadium. I mean, it's, a, it's a large NFL football stadium, but it's not. We're not talking like the Rose Bowl, hundred thousand, that kind of thing. Um, if you do, I think you would probably be able to do like sixty-five thousand for MMA, somewhere along those lines. Like you would have to make the tickets expensive, and and you know, tickets in Vegas are always expensive, so it would be a pricey ticket to get in, and a lot of those people would be so far away. Like it would just have to be a massive car to do it, and I know that that they're worried about doing that, and they don't think they're going to be able to do it. They would have to do a, an unbelievable car to make that happen. Again, Adam Hill joining us here on the fight game. Only a couple of more questions for you, because even the prelims are some very good fights on this card. Cody Garbrandt, he's going to be taking on Trevin Jones. But what I really want to ask you about Cody Garbrandt, he's only thirty-one years old. Do you think he can still make that climb back up to the upper echelon in the bantamweight division? He's only 31. It seems like he's like 50. I know. Um, yeah, but look, he he was very open yesterday. I, I you know I don't know if he planned on being or if he just kind of started dumping his emotions a little bit. But um, he's he's been through it. You know, not only in the cage but out of the cage. We know the the life he's lived. We know about the upbringing certainly uh, when he was young and and the the battles that he had, the struggles that he had. You know, with his family and um, and people around him. And then it seemed like. You know, one of the things he talked about when he was rising up to, uh, you know, to the top of the division was, uh, you know, overcoming it and, and, you know, getting into adulthood and kind of finding himself. And 
you know, get, getting married and having a kid and, and everything that he was able to do. And then, you know, apparently, as he uh, was pointing out yesterday, uh, he, he just really started battling and was, you know, going out to fights when, you know, he wasn't in the right mental mind state and, uh, you know, went through a divorce with his wife, had to move uh, to Vegas to, uh, you know, to be co-parents because that's where she was from. And um, his life was kind of really chaotic uh, before his last fight. And he, he seems to have figured it out. He seems to be in a better place. So um, I hope that's true for his sake. I, I, I've always really, really liked him. Um, he's been, you know, so so open and such an honest guy in, in doing interviews. And he's always been really good, really good to write about because um, because of that, you know, because he's willing to kind of uh, open up a little bit. But, you know, he, he pointed out that, you know, he said, yeah, he said everything going well with his training before, uh, but he was only answering questions about his training. He wasn't talking about what was going on in his life, so he wasn't in a good place. So um, that doesn't mean that, hey, and now everything's good and now he's settled and now he's going to, you know, come back and look like the Cody Garbrandt we used to know. Uh, but I think it's, you know, it, it, it shows that, you know, he's willing to talk about it. He's, he feels like he's moved on enough that uh, he's close to being mentally settled. And I think that would go a long way toward being physically right. And uh, I just want to see how he performs. And, and you know, I'm, it's the kind of guy that, you know, you, you, you want to, uh, you know, see succeed, you know, outside the cage, not necessarily um, in his fights. I mean, you, you're just kind of covering it and um, what happens happens, but I think uh, you want him to do well outside the cage, just because you know you want to see that story of, uh, of overcoming some odds. And then last fight I want to talk about on this card: Brunson Duplessis. Do you think that this could be one of the middleweight division? That I'm not saying that this is the number one contender fight, but the winner of this one, that next one, is getting you into title contention. Yeah, I think if, I think especially if it's uh, du- Duplessis, uh, I, th- I think he's. Um, you know, he's kind of, even though he's been around a little bit, he is kind of um, surging and he is, you know, people are discovering him a little bit more uh, as he rises up. Brunton has, has been around and I think it's a name people are already, you know, really familiar with. And so um, I, I think it's a little bit different for him. But um, Drickus is really, I mean, really, really talented. And he's, um, I think he's got that uh, some appeal in terms of new markets that they want to go into. Um you know, certainly it's it's you know, a place where MMA is expanding, and I think that they want to continue to grow their fan base there. So I think that part is big for him too. But um, I think he's personable, and uh, there's a lot that they can do in terms of uh, in terms of marketing him for sure. So um, he's a guy that I think can really, really help himself on this card, beating an established name uh, like Brunson, and and you know, and what comes with that. So I think he can help himself more than Derek Brunson can in this fight. Uh, but certainly, you know, Brunson can take that can take that appeal away take that luster away and um, put on, you know, a, a great performance that uh, allows him to kind of take some of that shine. But um, I think Drick is the one that can really, really rise up w- with a victory, especially an impressive victory here. Any fight on this card or storyline that we didn't get to that you feel that's urgent to talk about? No, I, I think for most people that are, um, you know, tuning into this, it's, it's obviously about John Jones for sure. Uh, but to me, it's, it's about the, it's about the Bo Nickel story. I mean, I think it's, you know, he'll be discovered by a lot of people that haven't seen him before. And I think he's the the name on this card that um, obviously the UFC wants to see succeed. But I think it's a, a, a guy that can, you know, really take advantage of this big spotlight. And that's where he that's where he is, where he is on this card. That's why he's the first fight of the pay-per-view. Like they are trying to showcase him and um, he's, he's going to be introduced to a lot of people that haven't seen him before. And I think that's going to be a really, really big story coming out of this card. Adam Hill, the Nevada Sports Writer of the Year from the Las Vegas Review-Journal and my nemesis in media. Thank you for joining me today. 
screw off. <laughs> no love from Adam Hill, but that's okay here on The Fight Game. And when we come back, no love, Cody Garbrandt is going to be joining us. Don't go anywhere. This is The Fight Game on 1230 The Game. Welcome back to The Fight Game with Demond Cotton. Welcome back to The Fight Game here on 1230 The Game, and I'm pleased to introduce my next guest, the former UFC Bantamweight champion of the world, No Love Cody Garbrandt. How you doing today, man? Doing great, man. Woke up. The weight is low. Energy is good. Just excited, man. We've got one more day we weigh in, and, you know, then the easy part. You mentioned the excitement, but yesterday at Media Day, you talked about the anxiety that you used to have before a fight as well. So after a 16-month layoff, what is that, not so much nerves, but what's that excitement level like to be back inside the octagon? You know, I think it comes from your preparation, you know, preparing for this fight. You know, the two fights that didn't prosper, you know, being in those camps and almost making it to the fight and, you know, the opponent falling out and then having surgery myself. So... Just know I'm, you know, on the right path, you know, things happen for a reason and, you know, just the excitement that I've been literally working, you know, in the trenches with my team and coaches and just literally just, you know, sharpening every, you know, skill that I have, you know, mentally, physically, um, emotionally, just, you know, dealing with it all, you know, becoming a complete martial artist and a, and a better human being in these camps and these this downtime of 16 months, you know, I might have been out of the cage in Octagon for 16 months, but I've been, you know, grinding and working on myself and my, my skills for that long. You mentioned working on yourself. What's been the biggest thing that you've learned about yourself in this 16 months since you've been away from competition? I learned a lot about myself, you know, um, a lot of just life changes, you know, um, you know moving to Vegas and um, a lot of other things, but, you know, finding new stable mates, new coaches, you know, just adaptation, you know, I'm a survival, uh, I'm a survivor at anything, wherever I put myself, I'm going to, I'm going to rise to the top. So, uh, you know, just knowing, knowing that, uh, you know, everything happens for a reason and there's, you know, sometimes we can't control the reason why things change and, you know, paths are, are different and just like my career, you know, I'm world champion, 11 0, 25 years old, I'm a little bit of a, you know, a, a skid, but you know it's it's on me. It's on me. Um, ultimately, that I can turn that around on Saturday, and that's what I'm uh, excited for. You know, I'm excited. You know, not anxious, not you know scared, nervous. You know, I'm just excited to go in there, and I have the control and power to do that with whatever I want to do with uh, my opponent tomorrow or on Saturday. Again, we're talking to Cody Garbrandt here on the fight game on 12:30. The game yesterday at media day, you talked about your opponent Trevin Jones and how this isn't that much of a short notice fight. He's had about five weeks to prepare for this fight. But for you, how much tape study have you put into Trevin? Honestly, I, I watched a lot of his fights, and um, you know, a lot. Of my teammate, uh, I've been working with a lot, Javid Basharat, fought him in his debut. So I mean, we, you know, my coach Dewey's already, you know, trained um, another you know, camp for him, you know, and, um, you know, so we, we, I mean, we know Trevin pretty good um, as well as, you know, breaking him down and what to look for, what he does. And I'm just on a different level um, and just excited to go out there and showcase that. I know you got to take it one fight at a time, but from winning the championship at 25 years old, what left do you have to accomplish in the UFC or want to accomplish? What are some of the goals that you still set for yourself? Consistency, just set goals of being consistent. I think that um, will all 
way out in the long run, you know, just consistent in everything that you do um, in this career, in this life, and uh, things will fall into place, you know, obviously not looking over any opponent, but just being consistent with everything you do in life, you know, your, your recovery, your sleep, your, your nutrition, I mean, it all boils down into the bigger pot, and that's being, you know, the world champion again, and that's, that's the goal, and that's the dream and vision, even in my darkest times, you know, like, I know that I still have that in me, I still have the hunger, I still have the passion, you know, and uh, it just, need momentum, you know, and that's what I'm looking forward to on Saturday. Get this win and then uh, ride the momentum and keep it rolling. With that momentum, how has it been with the new camp, with the new team, new stable mates, you know? So what's it actually been like leading up to this week, knowing that it's finally going to take place, all the hard work is going to pay off, and you're finally going to get inside the octagon on Saturday? Oh, it's great. And like I said, I mean, just the word that I just keeps coming back to is excitement. Excitement for it all. Excitement for the smallest things are the biggest things, and the biggest thing would be the win on Saturday night. But the smallest things would be getting your hands taped, you know, getting, you know, just being engaged in the the moment of the present, and that's what uh, I'm looking forward to. You know, a lot of times I was just kind of just going through the motions, you know, in the past, and you know, that just shows that you know that wasn't that I wasn't prepared, you know, physically, always prepared physically, but uh, the, the mental aspect is uh, far higher on a different level than I've ever been. Um, and confidence is just screaming through the roof right now, and just got to contain that, you know. And, you know, a few more days until I get into that octagon, and just you know, paint that perfect picture. You know, that's my masterpiece in there, and I'm uh, ready to paint that canvas blood with blood with uh, Trevin's blood. <laughs> I saw recently on the gram that you had Tank Davis come and join you for your camp. For camp, do you usually bring in a professional boxer to train with? Do you? work out with professional boxers i know you got some of the best hands in the division but do you train with boxers at all to keep them sharp yeah you know i've i've worked extensively with a lot of top level boxers um in the in the past um now more so just you know more high level mixed martial artists you know because it's kind of a different approach you know boxers but it's good to get in there and, and mix it up with those guys you know me and tanks have been friends for quite some time we both won the uh, world championships around the same time in 2016 into 2016 so we've always been um fans of each other, you know, and uh, we always just, you know, see each other, we link up, and, you know, he's got a fight in April, he'll be at the fight Saturday, and I'll be at his fight April, so uh, I wish the guy nothing but, you know, um, well, just just so much success, I mean, where he's came from, and what he's able to do in the sport, and um, I'm a really big fan of his. Again, we're talking to No Love Cody Garbrandt here on The Fight Game, something that I also wanted to ask you about were the no-love bullies, something that I know a little bit about because my father was also a pit bull breeder when I was younger. So how did the love for animals and the bullies come about for you? You know, I've always been an animal lover. Obviously, I buy pit bulls, and then I fell, fell in love with the bully breed. Um, with my, my first bully, Canelo, um, they were just um, very um, misjudged animals, you know. Uh, they are some of the most kindred souls I'm just best friends and I you know got into breeding um, kind of on I've got a few dogs and love to breed and I bought a dog off of a supposed to be a reputable breeder in the game and I got the dog in just horrible conditions and paid you know around fifteen thousand dollars for her and got her just in like I mean we didn't think she was gonna make it um, it, it was that bad and I just thought to myself like these are people out there that are you know taking you know people's hard-earned money and giving these dogs in this condition it's not the only person that I've done I've had obviously I have more of a a name to me besides a regular person that's buying 
you know, a dog. So I'm like, if they're doing this to me, who I can go out there and blast them and just basically, you know, tell them that they're, you know, pieces of shits for what they're doing in, in the dog industry, they're going to do it to everybody else. And they've done it to a few people after me. Um, and we just kind of, it just left a bad taste in my mouth. I never wanted to breed, but, you know, I was like, hey, I, you know, I can do it right, health test the puppies, you know, make sure we do everything right across the board, you know, um, don't overbreed, you know, give them good, good lives, you know, at my facility, you know, we, we, my family all love animals. I mean, we have my nieces and nephew and my little sister and my mother, brothers. It's a family ran business and that we all, you know, hands on deck with, uh, with the dogs and the pups. Just love it, man. I just love the breed. But I got into it from uh, a bad business, um, you know, buying off another business that was supposed to be a golden standard in the in the breed. So I thought that you know I could help out, you know, change the culture in the dog breeding because there's a lot of you know negative and not so good people that breed dogs as a turnover for cash, you know. And uh, but there's also a lot of good people in the breeding game that I've met and has helped out so much with with my start. And I truly love these these animals. I've actually really slowed down on the breeding process. The market's kind of oversaturated. I think everyone thinks they can be bully breeders, and then they're selling the dogs for you know less money and just to homes just to get them off. Like I you know I really do my research on where my dogs go. I, I have them contracted out to where you know we have to have pictures and videos. Uh, of them quarterly, you know, make sure they're healthy and we have the right to buy back if we don't feel like our dog is being taken care of after it's been sold to the to the owner. You know, we do health certificates with them. I mean, we worked a lot with people, you know, um, like that. So, I mean, I'm just trying to be a golden standard in the breed, good people, you know, good faith breeders and just, you know, I love the dogs and they're the family members to me. So that's why I'm trying to get um, to other people that possibly can't have children or, you know, you know, love animals as well. So uh, I just enjoy that um, to create a healthy dog and pedigree behind it. And temperament is always number one for me. So uh, giving them family members. Wow, that was a great answer on your love that you have for your bullies. But before I let you go, this is going to be the last one. What else are you doing for fun nowadays? Uh, you know, something fun for me. I'm uh, I've recently gotten to horses, so I'm looking into horse breeding, and I just I don't know. Dogs and horses are just phenomenal, amazing animals. I've been riding a lot, getting uh, I have a couple geldings, I have a couple mares. Um, so I'm looking to get a stud, you know, to be able to stud the, the, the horse out and be able to, you know, have the stallion. So I just enjoy that. It's, it's fun to unplug and go out to the ranch and just ride and, and be with those animals. You know, I take my dog Legion and I have uh, my horse out here. His name's Frosty. So we ride on the weekends. You know, I, I got him in, in camp uh, in January. So I would ride like Saturday and Sunday and then, you know, go out and see him and, you know, just learn how to... You know, properly handle and care and clean the horse, clean the shoes, the hooves, um, you know, brush, saddle them up, you know, tack them up, and then I'm learning how to, to ride. So it's been uh, great. I have a horse trainer out here, and I have a phenomenal tr horse trainer back in Ohio that I go, when I, obviously, after the flight, I'll go back home for a week, and I have a, a horse there that he finished for me. And I'm just excited, man. I like I just like being out in nature and being with those animals. You know, I have, it's, it's a cool because you have to connect with those horses um, in order to you know, have a good ride with them and then be responsive to you and not try to take advantage of you. They, they're submissive to you once they under, you understand, you know, that bond between them. So uh, it's phenomenal to get to learn about the horses and, and just get on, their, get on their back and learn how to ride them. You know, it's, it's something that uh, takes me away from the, the training and the fight. I'm just out on the horse. I'm just, I'm just riding in the wind, man, riding in the wind.
Hey, and thank you for your time today. Again, UFC 285 this Saturday, T-Mobile Arena, Cody Garbrandt, Trevin Jones. You don't want to miss it. Check that out on the prelims. Hey, thanks for coming on again today. Let's go. Thanks, buddy. Have a good day. And there he goes, Cody Garbrandt, and he's going to be taking on Trevor Jones. And that's going to be on the free ESPN portion of the card that you'll be able to check out. So no reason why you can't watch this one if you're not actually going to get the pay-per-view. Cody Garbrandt on ESPN leading up to the pay-per-view. And when we come back on the fight game, we're going to be talking to the co-main event of the evening, or at least one of the fighters in the co-main event, the challenger. Alexa Grazo is going to be joining us here on the fight game on 1230 The Game. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to The Fight Game with DeMond Cotton. I'm pleased to introduce my next guest, Alexa Grazo. She's going to be taking on Valentina Shevchenko for the UFC Flyweight Championship of the World, the co-main event of UFC 285. How are you feeling today? Oh, hi, I'm feeling great. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. Now, if you could just take me back a little bit. When you get the phone call that says, hey, do you want this title fight? What's going through your mind and what do you say to the UFC when you get that call of, hey, your next fight is going to be for the title? Well, I was super excited and I was happy that I had the opportunity. I've been working for so long for this moment and uh, I can't wait to perform. You've been talking about how long you've been waiting for this moment, but what are I've got to imagine there's got to be some nerves, the media coverage. It's fight week. How has all of that been preparing for the fight? Well, I've been co-main event a few times, and I have my first main event, so I'm kind of used to this. You know, I know how this works, and I'm happy. I'm happy with everything that's going on. With Valentina, she's been the champion for a long time, but you're also yourself on a four-fight win streak. So what has that momentum been like for you, knowing that you've constantly been stacking up the wins to get to this point? How's your, how are you feeling? What's your confidence level going into this fight? Uh, I'm confident about my job because I've been so, so extremely with, with my discipline, with my conditioning, my dieting, everything I'm doing perfectly. So like I said, I can't wait to perform. And then I know that your uncle is your lead coach. So how has that training been? What's, what have you been working on specifically for this camp? I know that you're a well-rounded fighter, but what specifically have you been trying to brush up on ahead of this fight? Everything. When you have a, an opponent like her, like so complete, like she's a champion, she has all areas covered, I have to do the same. I have everything done, uh, striking, jiu-jitsu, wrestling, everything at some point. Yeah, again, we're talking to Alexa Grasso here on the fight game. So when you're taking on a champ that's been on top for so long, do you does that factor into your mind that, hey, that you may be making a little bit of history here if you are to get this win on Saturday? Of course, you know, making history is never easy. And I'm, I'm here to do this. I'm here doing my best. Like I said, I've been working for so long for this moment. I deserve this and I will do my best. Again, I, I mentioned making history in my last question. That would be with beating Valentina. But if you do that, you will also make a little bit of more history by becoming the first Mexican women's champion in the UFC. How does that feel to you? It feels amazing. I'm, I'm truly proud to be one of the pioneers in my country. And imagine that, you know, being the first female Mexican champion will mean the world for me. And I know that you've been working very hard for this moment and you've got so much going on this week leading up to the fight. But what do you do in your downtime? What are you doing when you're not doing interviews with people like me and you're not training? What are you doing just to, you know, keep your mind 
you know, focusing on the fight, but, you know, to just have a little fun before the fight? Uh, well, I like to read. I like to take a walk with my dogs. Um, like to go to the movies. Um, you know, hang out with my 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 friends. You know, go to some place to eat. But yeah, I'm right now in, in this moment in my life. I'm just training, training. That's all that matters for me because I know that it's just an amount of time and years that I have a, a good and strong body to be able to do what I love the most. So I'm taking advantage of this years that I'm able to do this. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, the time that you have in, you know, in the fight game, but with this flyweight division, how stacked do you see this division being where if you were to defeat Valentina this Saturday, do you, are you already looking ahead to who your next opponent could be? I'm focused on Valentina. I understand 100% because the next fight is always the most important fight. A little bit earlier ago, you mentioned, hey, like in movies, what's the last good movie that you've seen? Uh, the last movie I saw, it was a movie from Argentina. <laughs> it was a comic movie. Oh, okay. That sounds pretty fun. That sounds fun. Again, we're talking to Alexa Grasso here on The Fight Game, and she's going to be in the co-main event of UFC 285 this Saturday at T-Mobile. I know you said you've main evented before, but this is the co-main on, to me, the biggest pay-per-view of the year already, starting out of the gate, UFC 285 being headlined by the heavyweight title fight. What do you expect that atmosphere to be like inside of T-Mobile on Saturday? Well, I hope that a lot of people can come to watch or fight, well, all or fights, and that um, with all my heart, I truly hope that you enjoy the show. Thank you so much. I'll let you go on this one. I know that it's 285 pay-per-view, T-Mobile, but what do you want to tell the fans one last time? Because I know you've got to run, but uh, the final message for the fans. Thank you, everyone, for your support. We are doing our best to perform for you guys. And like I said before, I truly hope that you enjoy all the show. Thank you for the support. And thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much. And when we come back here on The Fight Game, we're going to be joined by the undefeated fighter making his pay-per-view debut, Bo Nickel. Don't go anywhere. And I'm pleased to introduce my next guest here on The Fight Game, the undefeated rising phenom, Bo Nickel. Man, how's this media tour been for you this week? It's definitely been crazy, um, you know, a little more than what I'm used to. You know, obviously I was able to get a little bit of media attention and whatnot at Penn State while I was on the wrestling team there, but... This is definitely a different level. So, you know, it's been a good experience, though. Everybody's been super nice and super positive. Take me back to Penn State. Yesterday at Media Day, you mentioned your former college a lot. What was one of the biggest lessons that you learned, not so much in wrestling, but in life at Penn State? You know, I think um, there were so many, right? Uh, There's more lessons in life than in wrestling. You know, I, I obviously learned a lot in wrestling, but even more so in life. And so when I look back and think about uh, some of the important things I learned, uh, character wise, I would say just focusing on gratitude and appreciation for, you know, all the opportunities we get, you know, no matter what, there's always something to be grateful for. And so, you know, that's just something I try to practice and focus on every day. Something else that you said that I wanted to take you back to yesterday was learning how to win and knowing how to win. So what is that difference where someone you can be a great athlete, but you don't necessarily know how to win? Can you break that down for me? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think a good example is, uh, you know, last night uh, at my Airbnb, me and uh, my buddy Anthony Kassar, national champ for Penn State in 2019, were playing uh, a couple guys in shuffleboard. And uh, they were dominating us at first, right? Like 15 to zero or something. And 
we ended up just coming back and, and getting it done because we know how to win. And uh, that that's, you know, obviously I'm talking about shuffleboard now, but I think that translates over to uh, anything you do, right? Like for me, most of what I've done and winning wise has been in wrestling, but I feel like you could put me in any situation and, you know, most different sports and I would just figure out a way to win. And I think that there's a lot of people that kind of just have that in them inherently. Again, we're talking to Bo Nickel on the fight game, and he is going to be on the main card for UFC 285, taking on Jamie Pickett. Now, being on the main card, I know you have no control. The UFC, obviously, they want to put you in a good light, but you're no you're no stranger to the pressure. But do you get a little bit of nerves going into this first pay-per-view? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's, there's obviously a lot of nerves that go into it. I think that most people, when they feel the pressure or they get nervous, they try to minimize it and kind of, you know, act like it's not there. Um, for me, when there's more pressure and more nerves, more buzz around, around a fight, uh, it's just even better because I'm, I'm going to compete the best, uh, when the most pressure is on me. And, uh, you know, so I'm just excited about that. That's another opportunity I get to kind of challenge myself and, you know, deal with, uh, deal with the pressure. And, you know, that's fun. That's, that's kind of why I train as hard as I do and why I do what I do, because I want to feel that. You mentioned training as hard as you do. Only three fights so far in your young MMA career. What has been the most difficult aspect, if any, to pick up in this transition to MMA? You know, there's just a lot that goes into MMA, right? You know, wrestling is one aspect of it, but then there's so many other disciplines and, and things that you need to learn and understanding uh, how the game works and, you know, then being able to combine all that. So, you know, I think it's it's one thing to be able to learn wrestling, to learn boxing, learn jujitsu, learn Muay Thai, but then to be able to blend it all together and um, learn how to apply that in MMA is a whole other thing. So, you know, I have great coaches around me that are, are helping me, helping guide me through that. But, you know, just being able to create my own style, be creative and um, blend all those techniques together into what's practical for an MMA fight has been a challenge, but an exciting one. Tell me about the team that you have built around yourself. Obviously, at Penn State, had some of the best coaches. It's one of the best wrestling teams in the country. But have you transitioned to finding your home in the MMA world? You know, I, I still rely a lot on my coaches at Penn State and my, my practice partners and teammates at Penn State, you know, because I'm training with them all the time. So, you know, that's part of my team. I also have a great management team with uh, first-round management, Malcolm Kawa, Abe Kawa, my boy Jose. He's right next to me right now. So, you know, they're the best in the biz, and I appreciate all that they do for me on that end. And then, you know, of course, partnering up with American Top Team with Dan Lambert, Mike Brown, and all the resources that ATT has. I'm extremely grateful to uh, have all these people around that are really invested in me and that want me to succeed. You know, it just it feels good to kind of go into battle with all these guys uh, rolling with me. Now, this first fight, I know it's your first pay-per-view fight, but you're already what some would consider a fan favorite. Now, I know that there's probably a lot of negativity that you got to block out on social media, but are you seeing that groundswell of support, not only the media attention, but the fan attention that you're receiving? For sure. You know, I definitely feel uh, a ton of support, right? Like, you know, you, you mentioned that there's always going to be negatives and people that want to bring me down. And, you know, my perspective is that that has a lot more to do with them than it does to do with me. You know, when, when I, I, for me personally, I never want to bring anybody down or, you know, I want to, I want to help build people up. And fortunately I would say 95% of my interactions, you know, in person and on social are, are all positive. And, uh, yeah, I, I really thrive off that. And I feel like there's a lot of people that believe in me, which is really cool. What are some of the things that you got going or working with on socials to be more interactive with your fans? 
you know, I, I have a great content team around me. Um, you know, my uh, my social media guy, Ronan Bell, he's uh, managing my social media. And uh, so that, that helps a ton. You know, I have um, another videographer, John Broughton. You know, these guys are both with me now in Fight Week, making sure that I take advantage of all the opportunities that I have through social because, you know, a lot of people obviously want to follow my journey and get insight into what I'm doing. And so fortunately for me, I have a, I have a really solid team and this is just something that uh, is 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 a essential part of what I do, and uh, yeah, and absolutely uh, uh, very appreciative to have a good team around me again. Again, we're talking to Bo Nickel here on the fight game. Now, let's talk about Jamie Pickett just a little bit. Your opponent that you're going to be taking on Saturday. What went into accepting this fight against him, and how much study have you done to, against Jamie? Did a lot of studying. You know, when uh, the UFC presented me with the matchup, I watched some film on him, talked with uh, Mike Brown about it, my coach, talked with Dan Lambert, and uh, you know, kind of ran it through uh, my management team as well and made sure that everybody was on the same page and you know, feel like it's a good matchup for me. It was interesting because I heard him talk about accepting the fight, and it was, it was very different from my experience. He said he just accepted it point blank and didn't watch any film, which I thought was a very interesting approach. Um, <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, yeah, you know, I, I feel well prepared for the fight. I think he's, you know, obviously does a lot of things well, but I do a lot of things well too. So I'm excited to just perform to my best uh, come Saturday. All right, Bo, I got a real hard question here for you. What's the best way to prepare a steak? <laughs> Man, if you're going to do a steak right, uh, you got to reverse sear it. I go medium rare. So, yeah, reverse sear, medium rare. It's hard to beat. It's hard to beat that. All right, man, I'm going to have to try that out, the reverse sear. All right, so yeah. <laughs> something else that I want to ask you about, being on this car with John Jones, I saw that you got to meet up with him a little bit and, you know, pal around with him. What is that John Jones difference at heavyweight? Does I know he's a big guy already at 6'4", but does he seem like a heavyweight when you being up close with him? Yeah, he's definitely big. You know, I think that uh, I'm really excited for his fight uh, with Cyril Gaon, two, you know, high-level athletes, high-level competitors, and uh, – yeah, I think he's he's fully prepared for this fight, and he definitely, you know, his size is uh, he's put a lot of time into getting it where it needs to be, and so yeah, it'll be it'll be a battle for sure. Only a couple more questions for you. I know that the next fight is the most important fight, but what other goals or aspirations that you do you have for yourself in the rest of 2023? You know, my obviously, like you said, you know, my main focus is on this fight, and that's really where 100 percent of my attention is right now. Um, but moving forward, I just want to continue to improve as a fighter, get better every single day. And I think that uh, with the team that I have and the people around me, the support that I have, that I'll be able to accomplish a lot of great things in this year and, and in the years um, coming. So, you know, for me, I just try to keep it simple and just get better every single time I step in the practice room, every single time I step in the cage, I just want to be even better. And, you know, if I keep doing that, I know I'm going to achieve my goals. Thank you so much for your time today, man. Yep, thank you. Appreciate it. And that's going to do it for us for our coverage of UFC 285 this Saturday. T-Mobile Arena. You don't want to miss it. Prelims are going to be on ESPN. You can check that out. Get that pay-per-view ESPN+. Plus. I want to say thank you to Adam Hill from the Las Vegas Review Journal. One of the best guys in media. Don't tell him that I said that. Again, thank you to the UFC for, for providing the fighters. Bo Nickel, Alexa Grasso, and... No love, Cody Garbrandt. A hell of a show. Don't miss it. Next week, we're going to be talking about Creed 3. I'll give you a little spoiler. I know it's just a movie, but hey, this is the fight game. We talk about everything. We're going to be talking Creed 3 next week, but enjoy 285 this weekend. 
Stay safe and protect yourself at all times, everybody. This is The Fight Game with Damon Cotton.